you know, um, appreciated Ian's vision moment this morning, talking about uh, what's going on in Malaysia. It's so inspiring to have our missionaries with us, and I uh, appreciate your, your prayer as well, Claire. Indeed, the Lord is doing something good, and I think that's hard for us to sometimes see. I was just talking with someone before the service this morning that, like many of us, is just lamenting what is going on in our world today. Uh, we pick up our phones, and it's a lot, of, a lot of bad news. There's a lot of hard things going on, and I think a question that I'm constantly asking myself is, how do I live as a Christian in this world? Uh, how do we spread the salt and light of the gospel? How can we be that good tree that's producing good fruit in this world today in our context here, just as Ian is thinking about it for Kuala Lumpur? Well, years ago, a philosopher wrote a book in the UK. He was one of the leading philosophers of his field, and he set out to analyze the real problems in the world. But in his introduction, he included this bit of honesty about the limits of his own mind and the possible reach of his work. Listen to what he said. He said, this book, as regards analysis, is very good, but it does not go beyond analysis and therefore does not actually help. We can all analyze, but the vital question we want answered is, what is the ultimate source of the trouble and what can be done about it? He goes on, he says, there my book has nothing to say, though it is titled The Condition of Man. He's saying, I'll analyze man for you. I'll tell you what's going on in the world today. But the problem is I cannot tell you how to change what's broken. The good news of the gospel and what we find in scripture is we find an answer to this question. Not just what is wrong with man, but what can be done about the condition of man. What can be done? And as we talk about the condition of man, we talk about the world today and all that's going on, when we describe it from a Christian perspective, we use words like things are broken. We use words like things are lost. Like something needs to be recovered because we don't just start with the fallenness of this world that is so evil and being perpetuated out. We, we start before that. We start in creation. When we use words like lost or broken, it signifies that this world, there's something wrong. When someone dies, it's not natural. It's not right. It's not normal. It's not okay. When there's disease in this world, when we see school shootings, we realize it's not okay. This is not the way the world was meant to be. But without a Christian perspective on that, why not? Why wouldn't it be? This is just the way the world is. But from a Christian perspective, this world is broken. It is lost. And what Jesus has come to do is he has come to to restore the world. He's come to restore the world starting with the church, starting with the new creation life of the gospel that we have received in this that Carrie just read in these scriptures, we learned that we are a good tree, that God has planted something good. We learned that we are salt. We're not just a regular old mineral in the world. God has made us something different. We learned that we are not darkness. We are light. We have a changed identity. I love our assurance of pardoning grace that was read from 1 Peter 2, 9. We were called out of the world. We We have been made this priesthood, this holy nation. We have been made different in order to declare the the praises of him who has called us. And so we have been made different so that we can be different, so that we can make a difference. If you're not different, you can't make a difference. And so we've received this incredible gospel of new creation that, that goes merely beyond forgiveness of sins, which it certainly includes. Your sins are forgiven. But it goes beyond that. It includes that you have the new creation life of Jesus Christ at work in you. 
we as Christians are capable of things because Christ is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us that we otherwise would not be capable of. We would not be able to love. We would not be able to lean in. We would not be able to identify with the darkness of this world and yet remain distinct from the world. To, to maintain our identity as a holy people, but yet interacting incarnationally with the world around us. And so the question we can, we're confronted with today is, what do we do with this gospel, this amazing gospel that we have received? In this world that is really dark, and it's, there's a lot of difficulty, we are treading heavily in the world right now, and we pick up our phones, or we, we just we turn on the news, it's rough. How do we live Christianly in the world today? How can we be witnesses of Christ? I was talking to a neighbor the other day, and he asked me what I'm preaching on every now and then. He does this, this guy's not a believer. And he says, I'm teaching on what it means to be a witness for Christ. And he was like, what does that mean? And I was like, that's a good question. Well, really, being a witness is like being a spotlight. As Christians, we shine a light onto Jesus. Now, we can shine a light that is a positive light, or we can shine a light that is a negative light. Another way of putting it, as I explained to him, is basically the church gives Jesus a reputation. What kind of reputation are we giving Jesus? So we're going to start out by three negative ways that we give Jesus a reputation in the world. We're going to do a little self-analysis in the church. How are we doing there? Then we're going to transition look at four positive ways that we can shine a light on Jesus Christ in the world. And then we'll, we'll close by how do we actually really put this into practice in our real lives. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray that you would lead us this morning. Uh, we're here to learn. We want to know your word. We want to follow you. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear. You would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And you might even change us so that we would be able to be witnesses for you, shining that light of the gospel, giving you a good reputation in the world today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start out with three wrong ways that the world, that the church witnesses to the world. Three wrong ways. So the first wrong way would be aping or imitating the world. I get this from John Stott and his excellent book, The Living Church. If you want to read a book, what the church is supposed to be, John Stott's book, The Living Church, is great. Aping or imitating the world. This person wants to know, can I be a real Christian and still get to heaven without really needing to follow Jesus in my life? Can I have the benefits of being in the church, um, get forgiveness of sins, get to go to heaven, but not really need to take up the cross, as Ian talked about, walk through the wilderness with Jesus? Can I do that? And if you're honest enough to admit, the hard thing is most people don't admit that they're actually asking that question, but if you actually are honest enough to admit that you might be asking that question, well, the answer in the New Testament from Jesus and the disciples and from the global church who is being persecuted on Jesus' name's behalf, the answer to that is, is no. You, you cannot have a Christianity where you ape and imitate the world, where you take as much of the world on you as you possibly can, and then have as minimal of Christ as you possibly can, so that somehow that works out, so that you uh, get to go to heaven and get all the benefits of Jesus. For the suffering Christians, for Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, getting the benefits of Jesus without following Jesus in your real life, it sounds like total insanity. It's just not something that you actually read about in the Bible, but it's become so normal in our world today for people to walk the aisle or to pray a prayer or to have some experience at a camp. And then really, after that, there's no true intention of following Christ. 
So as our sins are forgiven and we are free in Christ, we are then called to live for Christ. And I think for us, all of us fall into this temptation from time to time of just wanting to fit in. But the Christian response to that feeling of wanting to fit in is just a little bit different or a lot different than it would be if you weren't a Christian. I was just talking with someone recently who asked for prayer because in his place of work, there's some norms within that company that he's called to enforce that he just can't agree with as a Christian. And so he comes to me and he's just talking to me, how do I live this way? How can I be a manager in this situation? I was talking to another young person in their middle school and she was saying, I just feel like it's so hard to be different in my school. I don't know many other kids my age that are also Christians. How do I live that way? And I think those are honest, beautiful questions about what it looks like to wrestle with. What does it mean to be uncomfortable with aping or imitating the world, knowing that's not what God calls us to do, but also earnestly, longingly wanting to live like Christ. That's a, that's a healthy gospel response. That, that response of, I know that there's part of me that wants to fit in, but that's not right. God, help me to be, help me to be living for you. So aping or imitating the world is the first bad way that we shine a light on Jesus uh, the second uh, wrong way would be avoiding or isolating from the world. So this person wants to know, can I be a Christian and yet really live myself in this micro bubble where there's this huge barrier between me and my family and the world around me? If this person does cross the buffer zone between isolation and the world, usually they move out kind of interrogationally. They want to have some sort of a confrontation with the world instead of loving their neighbor, really rubbing shoulders with them. And so they find themselves very uncomfortable. And the uncomfortability is that if they have friends or they're, they're in a situation where they're, they're going to be influenced by the world, they're afraid that they're going to become less holy, uh, that the, the darkness is going to rub off more on them than the light is going to rub off on others. And so we find this, this is really the problem of monasticism, that to be holy or to follow the Lord, you need to withdraw yourself from the world. And I would say that there's a, there's a healthy element of concern that needs to be there, that we do need to be concerned about the influence of the world on us. But I would say that this is not a Christian way to live. Why do I say this? It's because this is not how Christ lived. You know, Christ didn't look out at the world and all the problems that were going on in the world and just sing praise songs. You know, he didn't just isolate himself from us. He looked at the the debacle and the misery of the world, and he entered in. Holy, 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 distinctively holy. Jesus never lost his holiness, but yet he took on human flesh and he engaged with the world. He ate with sinners. He, he went through the marketplaces. He died on a cross. He got really dirty in the world with people. Why? So that he might save them. And we follow him. We follow his model and so the isolating, avoiding way of relating is not going to work for us in the church. The third wrong way, and this gets into a little bit more in our passage here, um, the third wrong way to live is assimilating or importing the world into the church. Assimilating or importing the world. And really what you get in there in the Luke passage, uh, the Luke passage that Carrie read is, it's about false teachers, it's about the church, but there's also a lot about false teachers, especially in the Matthew parallel passage in Matthew seven fifteen through 20. In the parallel passage, this is where we read about the wolves in sheep's clothing. 
I think this is really important for us to dive into as a church, particularly in our American Christian moment, uh, when frankly uh, leaders are, um, are, are just being exposed for having all kinds of things that are going on in, our li- in their lives. You know, Jesus told us that we should expect false teachers. Jesus told us that those who pastor us and preach the word of God to us should be held to a higher standard. I realize that's my job. But it's really important for all of us to be looking at who our leaders are and can we trust them. And Jesus warned us about this. I read a story this last week about a famous chef in Miami who had some good friends over. And so he served them hors d'oeuvres and people were just gobbling up left and right. But what he was actually serving them was Alpo dog food. And it was kind of a joke he was having on them. And this is what happens with false teachers is that you trust this guy. This guy's a chef. He's not going to feed us dog food. But when you have a pastor, you trust them. You trust them to teach you the word of God. And you have to examine what are they serving up, man? Like what's actually being served up by the church that I'm pastoring? And so let's, let's jump into that for just a minute. This is this is a main way that the world gets imported or assimilated into the church is through the leadership of the church. First of all, what can we know about false teachers? We can know that they will come, and when they come, they're called wolves in sheep's clothing. So that what that means is that you can't really identify them at the door. If you could identify them at the door, that'd be really nice, but you can't. It's really hard to do because it's an inward problem that doesn't, that they're so good at, at hypocrisy, they're so good at managing themselves externally that you just can't see it at the door. You just can't see it very easily. And so you need to do further examination. On top of this, to make it even more difficult, Dietrich Bonhoeffer adds, a false teacher may not even know the dark forces at work in him. His falseness could be unintentional. He can even be in the dark about his own motives. So you have this problem of false teachers may not even understand themselves to be false. Uh, So how can we spot a false teacher? Well, Kent Hughes suggests it's not in what he says, but in what he doesn't say. It's not in what he says, but in what he doesn't say. Sometimes it could be in what he says, but let's go with this line of thinking. He never offends. He doesn't want to offend you. You you walk out of your church services feeling great uh, because he wants to keep you happy. He wants to keep you coming to church. Uh, he comforts and soothes. He never warns of judgment. Never never warns of any kind of final judgment. He also, if you're a false teacher, you constantly are casting doubt on anyone who preaches or leads in a way other than you do. Because that might take away from your brand. That might take away from some of your power. A lot of false teachers don't have close friends. And so when what you find is that if they do have close friends and those close friends then begin to speak up, they get voted off the island. And so they only have friends who agree with them. That's a big problem that we need to look out for. And part of the false teaching that goes on in America is this blend, and Ian talked about this a little bit, but there's this blend of Jesus and prosperity that is just so weird, but it's everywhere. It is, it is incredibly weird that we follow Jesus who went to a cross, he had nowhere to lay his head, but yet somehow... You can follow Jesus to become prosperous and safe and comfortable. That doesn't really make much sense. This is getting into the the bad tree. What what is this bad tree producing bad fruit in the church? Well, sometimes it's produced through the leaders. Shai Lin, who's a lyricist, rapper, and writer, he talks about how to spot a false teacher in this way. He says, 
And you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right. That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. Tell me, who would teach you to pursue as a goal the very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul? Do you want to know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism. It's the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. But don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. So he kind of comes right out of here. But yeah, this whole idea that we can conflate Christianity and prosperity just needs to end. Like in your own mind, when you come to Christ, as Ian said, we walk through the wilderness, we take up the cross. The Lord, is he gives us blessings. Sometimes we end up being prosperous. But if you pursue prosperity as a goal, the Bible tells you that is the thing, as Shailen says, that will ruin you. And so this is part of the false teaching that goes on. So how do we test false teachers? How do we test false teachers? Well, first of all, there are three doctrinal tests that you could use. Um, You should ask, does your pastor preach about judgment? Does he warn about the end ever? Uh, that's, That's something that should happen. Does he emphasize sin and fallenness? Or is it always this, you know, happy message that's smiling all the time? Uh, Does he de-emphasize the atonement of Christ? Is there this teaching that you can actually kind of somehow become a better person by just putting Christian principles into practice without needing Jesus? That's a problem if that is going on. But sadly, I have friends and people I've known in the ministry who I would say are false teachers who pass the doctrinal tests. They know the doctrine well enough to be able to give give you the doctrine. But it's the underlying questions of character that are the real concern. And so there's three character tests I think we should be able to ask of pastors and leaders as well. And the first one is, is he humble? Is he humble? So he's probably somewhat gifted and somewhat successful. But where do his successes lead him? Do, do they lead him to be humbled by what has happened? What about the fact that he has a Savior who died for him on a cross? Is that humbling for him? Is, is your pastor or are your elders humble? I think we should expect that of our, our pastors and elders. The second one is, is he repentant? Yeah, he probably comes across as a godly person on the outside or he wouldn't have a job as a pastor. <laughs> but is he repentant? Like, do you see him... Do you see your elders and your leaders over time changing so that they own sin and they, they grow more amazed by the grace that they've been given? Do, do you see change in them? And then the third one is, is he loving? Is he loving? Does, does he, or do the pastors, the elders, do the leaders, do they love people well? Do they walk with people through suffering? Are they so busy, are they so, is their time so orchestrated that they just don't have much time to spend with hurting people? They just don't want to walk like that because it's not very efficient. Is that happening? And in those, in those cases, if, if you see a lack of humility, a lack of love, or a lack of repentance, I think that's a really scary place. And the hard thing is, honestly, I'm the one sitting here talking about it, is that you really want to have a pastor who is accountable and who has friends 
and who has people that they're talking to honestly about their life. And if you have a pastor who is growing in their isolation from other people, then you need to be, you need to be concerned. You, you need to wonder uh, what's going on. And I'm telling you as the church, as our church and as the church, that that's kind of your job um, to be concerned about the church. And I get that, okay? So, so some people are like, oh, we just don't want to talk to the elders. We, we have questions. Like, no, you should talk to your elders about your questions. You really should. Because we're here, to, we're here to love you. We're here to lead you. you you're, we're not here to just, like, live in isolation uh, and just kind of make decisions. So I think it's really important to go into the, the – these are negative ways right now that the church is shining a spotlight on Jesus. It's really – it's not a good thing. When the world looks at the church, they kind of wonder if you're aping the world, if you're just like us, if you're avoiding the world and you, you just don't want to have anything to do with us, if you're assimilating the world and you're trying to do some weird combo – What's the point? What's the point? Why would I be a Christian? What's the point of all that? Okay, so those are bad ways. We need to kind of let those ways go, be repenting of those ways in our lives. And then what are the right ways for us to witness for Jesus? What are the right ways for us to shine on him? Well, we're not called to imitate the world or isolate from the world or import the world, but instead to influence the world. Okay, we're not called to ape the world. We're not called to avoid the world. We're not called to assimilate to the world. We're called to affect the world. That is the Christian teaching on what the church is supposed to be like. So how can we be this kind of witness? Well, there's four things I want to point out from the salt and light and good tree analogies. First of all, we witness in our difference. We witness in our difference. I talked about this in 1 Peter 2.9. You have to be different to make a difference. So just Assimilating in, aping, being the same, indistinguishable from the world, that is not the Christian teaching. We become salt, we become light, we become a good tree. How does this happen? How does the salt become salt? Well, God makes it so. God takes it from being this regular mineral and makes us something different, something special. Now, salt, you may say that doesn't seem very special. Um, but in that day and age it was, and we'll get into that in just a minute, um, Light, God takes us out of the darkness and makes us light. He makes us something different. He takes us out of among all the trees and he makes us good trees so that we would bear fruit in the world. He makes us a new creation, a newly planted tree. But you have to think about this. If salt is no different from the meat that it touches, if light is no different from the darkness that it touches, if the good tree is no different from the bad tree that is around it, then what is the point? We, we must be different to make a difference in the world. And that is what God makes of us in the church. So we witness in our difference. And we'll get into some ways that we are called to make that difference in just a minute. We, all know, we also witness in our, our density or in the concentration of salt or light in a given area. So for salt, in order for it to be effective... You can't just have one granule or several granules of salt. You have to have enough salt. For light to make a difference in the world around it, you have to have enough light. It's the difference between a, a door being slightly cracked and the door being kicked all the way open. We need enough salt and enough light to make a difference in the world around us. Now, we're called, whatever amount of salt we have, whatever amount of light we have, we're called to use it wherever we are. We're not called to wait until we kind of get strong enough and have big enough numbers we're called to be faithful 
But we have to recognize that we need to have a growing amount of salt and light around us. And so that leads us to evangelism. That leads us to raising our children as well as we can so that God willing, they'll follow the Lord. Some children were interviewed this morning for membership in the church. It's so beautiful. But the way, the pathway forward for us is to be faithful now, but to recognize that we want to see people coming to Christ. We want to see our children growing up in the Lord. We want to see people discipled and growing in their faith so that the concentration of light and salt in, our, in and through our community can make a greater difference over time. So we witness in that way as well. We also witness in our distribution, in our distribution. So it's not just going deep in one area. We need to be distributing ourselves all over the world. Now, when salt is distributed into something, it's different than light. When salt is distributed into something, it actually goes down into the food. It goes down into the meat. And back in the day, uh, when Jesus was talking about this, it was used as a deterrent for decay. A deterrent for decay, it was also used to flavor the food as well. And so as salt is distributed into something, it actually keeps the decay from eroding faster, and at its best, it actually gives flavor to the dish. And this is what we're called to do in the church as, as positive influences in our community. We're called to be different. And in that difference, we're called to, as we apply salt in the world around us, the, the world should feel the difference between the way Christians engage with the world around us and just how everyone else is engaging. So for example, how would it look like for us as Christians to go deeper in, to, to live more incarnationally, to have that salt and that difference of the gospel impacting the way that we live? Well, it could look a lot of different ways, but I want to be very direct in some ways about what this means because we don't take our cues from what the culture is telling us about what we should believe. We're not just assimilating a bunch of random ideas from our culture and saying, sure, I believe that. And you know, we start with scripture, we start with Christ and what he teaches, and then we live in such a way that is going to, to cross all of the political spectrum, okay? We're not gonna land in one particular place politically. We're gonna see things differently in different ways because Jesus was neither a Republican or a Democrat, okay? He was neither one, actually. That may be a surprise to you. But he actually, he actually had his own way of looking at the world. And in some ways, some sides get it right and some sides uh, get it right on the other side. And so we're, we need to look at this. So what would it look like for us to apply Christianity and to live as salt in our world that we live in today to limit some of the damage that we see, God willing? Well, let's talk about the unborn, the living, and the dying. So all of life matters to God, all of life. Life before uh, birth matters to God. Life after birth matters to God. The elderly life matters to God. All the way through, life matters. Why? Because we're created in his image. And so we should care as Christians about the plight of the image of God. We should care if it's too easy for the image of God to be destroyed by guns. I am not going to suggest a policy at all, but I'm going to say that we should be concerned. We should be concerned about this. If we're concerned about life in the womb, let's be concerned about life outside of the womb, cradled to the grave, let's be concerned about life. This is a way we live as salt in the world. We have a different way of viewing the world because of what Christ 
has done because he is the creator of life. The human being, all races, cultures, and backgrounds, all socioeconomic classes matter to God. They're created in his image. And so for us, it's not a political issue when we talk about race. It's a gospel issue when we talk about ethnicity. We care about humans. We care about people because they're created in God's image. And we want to see them know Christ and be brought into the church. God set it up as men and women. And so when we, when we think about gender, we think about roles, we, we believe that, that true, um, true fulfillment of the self is not found in changing your gender. It's found in being who God called you to be. It's living in, the, in accord with the way that God called you to be. And, and that self-fulfillment that you're looking for can be found in the way that God created you, not outside of it. Sexuality and marriage. God created sexuality. We're talking about salt. How do we be salt and light? God created sexuality. He created us it to be between a man and a woman inside of marriage. That's very, very controversial in our world today. I get that. But if you want to take it all the way down the road and find, if you're looking for fulfillment through sex, if you want to look at that a little further, you can go into Ecclesiastes and look at Solomon and all that he had. And you can look at the ultimate the ultimate destination of a life where you're just looking for love and everywhere you can find it, it does not lead to fulfillment. And so the way to reach the West again, the way to reach the West again is not through avoiding, it's not through aping, it's through being Christian. It's through being different. It's through holding on to scripture. Come what may, honestly. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're broken. The Bible teaches that we need a Savior. The Bible teaches that we can't make up all these things on our own, that we follow him all the way to the end. So the distribution needs to be deep in our hearts, needs to be deep as we impact and look out into the world today. We need to hold on to it. And the distribution of the light, if salt distributes deep, then light distributes wide. So we need to have deep convictions that take us wide out into the world. We don't we do not avoid the world. We don't isolate ourselves. We, we move out. We, we want to send our children out as missionaries to the world. We want to send our elders out as missionaries to the world. We want to raise up our kids so that what, wherever they go, whatever they do, if they're here and they're working here or they're there and they're working there, they're living for Christ. We want to distribute that light out. Light, by its nature, expands. That's what it does. We're called a city on a hill in the scripture. We're called a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so we should be this beacon of light to the world around us as we share the good news of the gospel in evangelism. We want to see people come to know Christ. We're not, we're not about changing the morals of a society. That's not the main thing we're about. If you want to know what we're about, we're about seeing people change so that they, they know Jesus, they, ha they know his grace, and then they live for him in all areas of life. But we aim for more than difference, density, and distribution. We also aim for transformation. We want to see transformation. We want to see gospel change in individuals and communities. So we want to be truly different and remain different, but yet then we go out and share the gospel and we want to see individuals and all that individuals contribute to in society, all those individuals who come to know Christ, we want to see communities impacted. We want to see neighbors and neighborhoods and nations impacted for Christ. 
That's, that's our goal, is that we want to see... I'll just start yelling um, if I wasn't already. <laughs> so, so what it touches, it touches for the good. That, that's really the main takeaway here is that Christianity should be good for the world. It should be good. We should be bearing positive fruit in the world. It shouldn't be too much for us to expect that we should be fruitful, that we should be fruitful in our lives. Now that fruit, like, like I just said earlier, now that fruit may look different in different ways. We're not necessarily looking for big numbers or, or something like that, but we should be bearing fruit. There's a, there's a debate that goes on. These debates go on between pastors and theologians, which I find so sometimes just frankly ridiculous. But uh, Tim Keller spoke into this debate, and the debate was over, are we called to faithfulness or fruitfulness? What the heck, man? Um, I think both, right? I mean, how about both? How about faithfulness? For sure, you should be faithful. If you're not faithful, then stop, okay? If you're not faithful, then what you find yourself in is you find yourself in the situation with the false teachers or, you know, the bad fruit in the church. If you're seeing unfaithfulness in the church, find a different one, right? Okay, so you got to have faithfulness, absolute baseline. But when you look at the good tree producing good fruit, you look at salt and light, is not the expectation that we would then be fruitful, are, is the, are the faithful not also fruitful? Of course, we should expect that. We should expect both faithfulness and fruitfulness. So that if you're in a church and you're like, I just don't think there's faithfulness here, what should you do? Well, you should run. You should. Like, if you feel like, man, this is just not faithful. Okay, go find a place where you feel like it's faithful. You need to have a place where the Bible's taught. You need to have a place where the gospel's in the center Find a pl there's, there's churches like that. Find a place where you feel like the gospel is being preached. It's, it's being preached here. <laughs> but you need to feel good about it. You need to feel good about the gospel being preached. And then you want to find a place that's also fruitful. If, if you're not seeing the fruit, what should you do? If you're not seeing the fruit, well, what you should do is you should pray. You should pray. Because honestly, maybe you're not seeing it. Maybe you're not seeing it. Maybe the fruit is there. Maybe the fruit is, and I, and I was talking to a, a young man about this this morning, you know, right now, what I want to do is instead of reading all the news all the time, I just want to love the person that's in front of me. That's what I would encourage you to do. Love your neighbor. Love the fellow church member in your life. Love your kids. Love your wife. Love your friends. There's a lot of good in the world actually happening through the church. But man, it'd be hard to find it right now in mainstream media. Okay? But just love the people in your life. If you're not seeing the fruit around you, then I would encourage you to pray and I would encourage you to be patient. Don't get frustrated with yourself and be like, I feel like I'm being faithful, but I just don't know if I'm being fruitful. The fruit will come. Maybe it's already there. Maybe it's already there and you just can't see it. 
yet. So we're called to be both faithful and fruitful witnesses of the gospel. So if you want to put that second point in a capsule there, we're called to, first of all, be different. We're called to be, we kind of have density. We have to have enough of us. We need to to have enough presence. So we need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be distributing the gospel in deep and wide. And then we need to be making a difference, like truly making a difference in the world around us. And then finally, how do we put this into practice? Three ways to put this into practice, okay? So if you're like, man, I'm just not sure what to do with all this. Here, you can just boil it down in a nutshell. Here's the funnel, okay? What, do you, what should you think about on a regular basis? You should think about Jesus's incarnation. Think about his incarnation. How did Jesus live? He was holy, holy, holy. He had everything and he became nothing. He took on human flesh. He went through all the sufferings of this life to die on a cross for you. And as we follow Jesus, that's what we're called to do. We're called to live like he did. Of course, we can't be just like him, but he can enable us through the power of the Holy Spirit to both maintain our distinctiveness and our difference and to make a difference in the real world by loving people like salt and light and good fruit. Jesus's cross, second of all, is always the center of the church. So after you think about the incarnation, make sure that Jesus's cross is always at the center of your life and of the church. That is what I think an unbelieving world finds so difficult to, to swallow when Christians are arrogant. This doesn't make any sense. How can you be arrogant when your God died on a cross for you? And so if you feel like arrogance is happening in your heart or in the church, remember the cross. Remember how we got here. Remember who our Lord was. Remember that he died for you and me as sinners. We are not leading out of our own interests, but for the way of Jesus. And then finally, remember that the goal of the church is to glorify Jesus, not to glorify itself. To glorify Jesus, not to glorify itself. Someone came in the other day, they were a new, they had visited a few times and it was the first time I ever met them. And this person said, uh, I said, well, how's it been so far with you at Trinity Park? And she said, oh, I just love this church. This church is so unassuming. And I was like, oh, that's, I love that. That's such a high compliment in my opinion, because like, honestly, we're not going for that, but that's what we are. We actually don't feel like we have a whole lot to be attractive. Um, about us. I mean, we got some kind of cool ministries going on and everything, but don't be attracted to that. Like, I hope what you see is Jesus here. I hope Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. I believe that he is. And remember that how we started in this series in the Sermon on the Mount, that really it all starts with the Beatitudes. How did we get in here? How did we come to the church? Well, we came in because we said we were poor in spirit. We are poor in spirit. We have nothing. We came in saying that we are mourning for our sin. We are, we're mourning for our sin and the brokenness of this world. We came in saying we're hungry. We're hungry for grace. We're hungry for life and we are. We came in saying we are those who are hated and persecuted and this is how we get in. And so once you get in, how could the church exist to make much of itself? No, we exist to make much of Jesus. And so when we shine that spotlight out, when we shine the spotlight on, we shine it not onto ourselves. We shine it onto Jesus Christ because he is the one who has made us salt and light in that good tree. I pray that God will enable us to put all of this together, to think through, okay, these are the ways I'm not called to live. These are the ways I am called to live as salt and light 
in this good tree so that we can be different to make a difference in our world. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would um, just enable us, Father, through the midst of um, our lives to live for you. Lord, we want to we want to be uh, both faithful and fruitful. We don't want to give up on either one of those things. We want to um, love our neighbor, and yet we recognize, God, sometimes we're a little bit scared about how to do that or we feel unsure. Lord, I thank you for opportunities um, like in Malaysia and, and like we have here in our local community in, um, in partnerships to be able to send that love, that, to distribute that light around the world. But I also pray that the saltiness and the light that we have would be felt um, incarnationally in our neighborhoods, in our families, that we as the light of Christ and the love of Christ changes us, that we would bear good fruit and that fruit would be felt transformationally in the world. Lord God, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.